0: On my time, I can reclaim it, reclaiming my time. The solution is with women. On Wednesdays, we were pink. I say jump back, and it jump back.
1: You got to decide, do you want to be Nat Turner or Ike Turner? You do not get to be both.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Uchachi, And I'm Aisha. And this is Inside the Pink, where we do a deep dive into the pink folds of a woman, exploring the experience from the inside out. How you doing, Aisha? she uh, just kidding. Well <laughs> I'm I am well. I'm nervous. <laughs> well, Aisha is nervous because we are taking a detour from our normal topics and we are talking for the next two episodes about ourselves. Yes. And today we are talking about Aisha. Yes. Only because
1: A is <laughs> first first in the alphabet. Because guys. A is
0: first and so I lucked out. Um <laughs> My name is Uchechi, so I'm always second. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> next week. That so next week yes. or next two weeks, actually. Next two weeks. Next two yes. weeks. Get ready for it. But y'all are going to get Aisha. Yes. So we're going to start like we start every episode with the definition. Yes. Uh, we're going to start with your name. What is your name and what does it mean?
1: Okay. So my full name is Aisha Camila Faines. That solves the mystery. What does the K stand for? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm (laughs) I'm sure everybody asks. (laughs) What does it mean? Uh, Camila. My father is Muslim. My mother is Christian. I think they decided on Aisha because my mom had met an Aisha. Uh, When she was maybe in medical school and she really liked her and loved the name. Mm -hmm. But the name was going to be a Muslim name. That was not a question. Aisha means one who was full of life. And she was also like the favorite wife of Prophet Muhammad. And my middle name, Camila, means one who seeks perfection in Arabic. And my dad actually legally changed his name when I was very young to Bahir, Kamil and all his... (laughs) Information out. Um, so Camila is kind of my connection because actually my dad and I have different last names. Yeah, because
0: he changed his name. Yeah.
1: yeah, when he legally changed his name and I don't know why my parents didn't change my name, but it may be because I was like 10 or 11 and I was uh, already in the in school. school.
0: system, yeah.
1: They didn't want to do all that. And as a woman, the thought was that I would one day change it again anyway. So we, at one point, if you listen to our voicemail and it was like, hi, and it was like three different last names because my mom uses her made a name that it was me and my dad. So, yes, but Aisha means one who is full of life and one who seeks perfection. And if you actually know me, you will know that my parents actually chose the most perfect name for me and uh, because that actually is pretty much me. And I love it. And I tell my parents all the time that I would choose Aisha again. And I'm actually upset that our culture is the way it is because if I had a daughter, I would really want to name her Aisha the second. Like, I love
0: my name. So I feel like you can. Aisha, <laughs> thank the second, you. I, I really no. I really do think with like Tiana Taylor yes. and Serena Williams naming their daughters juniors, even though it's um, by their husbands, yeah, th- named after their husbands. I still think that a woman can have a junior. I love that. So yeah. no, Aisha too. Yes, Aisha the second. Aisha the, Aisha the sequel. Aisha the second. Yes, <laughs> I think we should do that. I yes. Think. So you gave us your first and your middle name. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about your last name?
1: I mean, beyond that, my parents, uh, my father's side is from North Carolina, and it's originally Fane. It was the Mm -hmm. Fane Plantation in Vance County. I have an interesting ancestor. Her name was Sally Fane, and she was married. I think her husband's name was John Fane. But somehow, he bought his freedom, and then um, he went back several years later and brought her freedom. um yeah and uh, this is my parents are doing research into our family history and so when she died she actually had a plantation herself and uh the trip of my life was when I discovered that that plantation actually had a couple slaves now I'm thinking that when she left when she uh died she like willed stuff off and I Think she may have emancipated them? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Or even if the slaves were, like, technically they were slaves, but it was her way of, I don't know. But she's actually featured in a couple of books. Her papers are on file at the University of North Carolina and <laughs> where they studied, like, these communities of free people. So it Faines goes back to Fane. I think a couple of generations ago, somebody added the E.S., and I don't know why they added the E.S., <laughs> that they thought it sounded better or whatnot, but... That's a little bit that I do know. That
0: I was not expecting that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a amazing history. Yeah, this actually the name of the one of the books that features her story is called "Unruly Women." (laughs) wow talk about foreshadowing yeah i literally when i found this out i was like wait this is crazy um yeah so i i think i'm the the person that knows the most about her because my parents started and that's how they found her and then it wasn't until the 2000s when these phd students there's this whole project that really started looking into the Mm -hmm. free communities and they and I I kept checking back because there was like websites with documents, and I was just learning more and more about that story. But it's crazy. Is,
0: as an, as a child of of Nigerian immigrants, mm-hmm. one thing that I've been kind of obsessed with. Well, this is like a mini segue, but um, not obsessed with, but like I always ask. Black Americans, African Americans, mm-hmm. so where's your family from? And they're like, no, I'm from America. And I'm like, I know that, but you do have a history in America, yes. so where do you come from in America? Like, yeah. we're down south, or we're out east, Midwest. or. And I like when people are able to like give me, uh, um, or they were like, you know what, I'm going to find out. Like, It's mm-hmm. one of the favorite. It's something that, because we all have a history, and one of the things that America did, worked its hard that was convincing uh, black people that they don't have one.
1: Exactly. And it's true even our history here. I mean, it's we don't know where we were prior, prior to Prior to that, yeah. Transatlantic slave trade, but even there is a history there, here, yeah. even if it's just a migration, like the fact that my parents ended up living down the street from each other in Newark, New Jersey. Um but that was because my mom was from South Carolina, my dad was from North Carolina, that's where families migrated to. Yep. And they, you know, and so they both from the Carolinas, both migrated here at about the age five, ended up down the street from each other and eventually ended up married.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know. <laughs> so since we're talking about history, we are gonna segue yes. into your history. So where were you born? Ah, Newark Beth Israel Hospital. <laughs> So, like, down the street from where I live. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll yep. get into that next next episode. Mm-hmm.
1: But So, the back stories, a little slight backstory. story. Um, my parents, like I said, knew each other, like, their whole lives. And apparently my father had a crush on my mom, like, for a very long time. But my mom actually was married, for, like, six months in her 20s. And my father, um, he had two children um, by the time my fam- my parents finally got together. So, I have a a brother and a sister um, that are 10 years older than me, but we all live together. Mm -hmm. So I only ever, like, explain that for people who don't get it, but they're, like, we were raised, like, blood, brother and sister. Yes. I think when I was born, my mom and dad were living in Orange. I have my earliest memories of this. There's a guy named Harold who was a landlord. He didn't like kids. So I think when they first lived there, (laughs) they—
0: It was my landlord always doesn't like kids.
1: Yeah, it was like, okay, and then they they had a baby, and it was like, what? So they were only there, I think, for like two years. Uh, and I think when I was like maybe two or three, my parents moved to South Orange. Interesting thing is my mom, uh, she used to like to make dollhouses, um, and she had this very beautiful dollhouse. She loves crafts and things like that. It's a beautiful dollhouse, and the house that we, uh, my parents still live in, looks just like that dollhouse oh. freaky right
0: yeah wow so that's where i grew up so what about childhood what was where did you where did you grow up what city did you grow up in and what was what was your childhood like
1: so it was it was fun i grew up in south orange it was a very uh i'm sitting here taking it for granted like you know what south orange is it was, it was a very diverse yet um you know, I would say, I guess I would say upper middle class. They moved there because the, the school system was good and that it was really safe. I lived across the street from a park. Um, I was always annoying my brother and sister. I was like, I'm sure, like annoying the mess out of them. My sister is very maternal, um, naturally maternal, but she's also 10 years older than me. I was very close to my father. Mm. When I was born, my dad was in law school. And I think he started practicing maybe maybe when I was like two or so. I think he was studying for the I think he was studying for the bar when Mm -hmm. I was born, so... I only saw, like, I only knew him in books. Like, those was my always memories of him in books. And they, there are pictures of him holding me in one hand and the law book in the other. And I know he passed it on the first go, because my mother picture. was like, yeah. <laughs> and my mama was like, you better pass the bar. <laughs> like, so there was no, like, I had to take the bar three, four times. So, like, you have family. Um, but I was closer to him because my mother had, was already, she was already uh, practicing. Uh, she's a physician. And so she had me she timed when I came out um, she knew she was going to have a little break in her schedule and then at four weeks she went back to work so I was naturally a lot closer my mom did not have the flexibility in her schedule then my dad even when he began practicing he was like in private practice so he had more fluidity so I was a Probably like closer to my father. Right. Um. When I was younger, and um, probably took I, my personality probably more so mirrors him. He is. Um, I'm like a softer version of him. My dad could be very dogmatic and opinionated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm very opinionated, but I'm a little bit more tender. Like I'm not as like forceful as my dad is. Um, he loved jazz. I love jazz. He taught me the alphabet, al Fatiha, for any Muslims out there. That's like the, you know, the the preeminent prayer. And he taught me like Smokey Robinson's ooh, baby, baby. Those are the first mm-hmm. things. <laughs> and public enemy. Um, what's that? I got a letter from the government the other day. Um... Black Steel in the hour of chaos. <laughs> All of these, I knew by the age of two, is what happens when your child is spending way too much time with, with, <laughs> with their dad. Yeah. Um, and I would get a little bit close. I mean, I was close to my mom. She was good about quality time. But I think she and I really, really more so connected. Um, but when I, you know, reached puberty and right. became more of yeah. a girl,
0: girl. Yeah. So What about teenage years? What was that like, high school? and. Um,
1: well, I was always kind of precocious. Um, I would say I always really, really loved to learn. I think my teenage years is when I became aware that like grades meant something, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, if you want to do well in life, you have to achieve. And my, I remember when I was twelve, like I had, I uh, was really struggling. I'm not a natural math person. I like, I like he- the humanities, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I was struggling in math class. I remember sixth grade was the first time they start tracking in our school district and which is a terrible thing because basically I have all these memories of like having more diverse classrooms and then in sixth grade it's like from that point on it's like one or two black children because and you had
0: to go because you had the tracking system yes okay. I didn't
1: realize how deeply segregated it was right. until I like it was more so like a senior but it was very segregated um, but nonetheless that's sixth grade is the year I remember school actually becoming something you had to really like apply yourself because it was just fun for me and then right. sixth grade was like oh there's and just test, and there's math. and It was like algebra or something, and I was having a hard time. And I brought home a B, second semester. And I said, my mom picked me up from school, and I said, she said, how's your report card? I said, oh, I got all the A's, I just got a B in math, because it was hard. And she was like, I'm allergic to B's. To this You're day, I don't know if she was joking or not. I will never know. But I know that the next semester I got an A+. Plus and then the following semester I got an A+. Plus. I just didn't want to disappoint my mama. like
0: that. I'm so glad that it's <laughs> not just a Nigerian thing to say something no. like
1: that.
0: <laughs> nope. <laughs> because if I tell you I grew up with, Beacon means you can do better. So I cool. love... Yeah, that I'm allergic to bees. to yeah. It just it feels okay. Yeah, I yeah. feel that that feels
1: wonderful. That she. It, it's <laughs> too, and I mean, looking back at it, like it could have been rough. I think she knew her child, mm. and I think she and my dad knew what I was capable of, and so I think they set it up very early on. Because sixth grade, you look back on it. Your grades in sixth grade really don't matter yeah, all they, that they much don't. at all. But I think they were like, no, we're gonna establish precedent where. We're not gonna accept anything less than what you can do. Right. I I, I forgot to say this in all of- my childhood. When I was three, I started dancing. I loved dance. I came out the womb dancing. My mama was dancing. She actually went to arts high school, so she was always very artistic. Yeah.
0: Really? Where did she uh, major in when she was an arts? Uh, she, she, she got the gift. She did not pass
1: on. She was a vocal <gasps> major. She graduated best female vocalist. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: you know, my mom actually had a really, I think I said this before on a previous episode, so I won't go on. She had a really, really tough childhood, and she just kind of Saw a vision for herself that no one else in her family did, Mm. and so she, for her achievement, was the the way out, and it was not just the way out of poverty; it was the way like away from like just all the mess that Mm -hmm. she dealt with in her childhood. So she loved, still sings, and loves to sing, um, and just she was just an overachiever, valedictorian, just she was getting the hell out, Mm -hmm. and um, and so she's you know she's like a hero for that. She's. Dope. But anyway, she was dancing at Marie Wiley School of Dance in uh, East Orange. And when I was born, they were like, girl, she was nine months pregnant still dancing. They were like, if you don't go home and sit down and have this baby. And when I came out, I walked early. And when I started walking, I started dancing. I just wanted to dance. I had these pink Mary Janes that she still has. I thought they were ballet shoes. And I would just be... (gasps) Oh, my God. So adorable. (laughs) So I think at three, she asked the dance studio, like, I know you said we have to wait till four, but please... I need to put her in class because like, she won't stop dancing. And I've been dancing ever since. So I forgot to say, that's a really big part of my childhood. Yeah, dan- That's a really big part, I was dancing. Um, at, so a, a couple of pivotal things happened when I was a teenager. When I was 10, I my mom used to take me to see New York City Ballet. How my mother, as a as a woman who grew up in poverty, ever thought to get season tickets to the ballet, I will never understand. I don't know. That's not something she knew. Yeah, It wasn't even something that her friends were doing. But she just said, my daughter likes ballet. I'm going to get tickets to New York City Ballet, and we would get season tickets. My dad would drive us there, wait for us, and drive us back. And back then, New York City Ballet, like this is why I understand why Missy Copeland is so inspiring to so many people. There was a woman named Andrea Long, who danced with New York City Ballet, chocolate, gorgeous, fabulous dancer, only one on a stage. Then she went to Dance City of Harlem and it was Aisha Ash. And Aisha Ash looks just like me. She's my complexion, my features, and my name. And I would watch her and I just wanted... To, I wanted to do that, and it was so powerful because mm-hmm. it's one thing when you're in dance school and you're just you know dancing, you you see the kids around you. But it's another thing when you see what it really looks like, right? And it was so beautiful, and I just wanted to dance. And my parents wanted to send me the Dance of Harlem. But they were busy and they could not get me to New York, you know, that many days a week. So they looked for the best school in New Jersey. It was New Jersey School of Ballet. Only the difference between Dancer of Harlem and New Jersey School of Ballet was that uh, New Jersey School of Ballet did not have a lot of black children. I'm sure. And so I had to grow up very quickly. I had to get very used to being not just the only one. I was comfortable being the only one. I mean, that was just the school district. But... I had to get used to being in an environment where I was not wanted.
0: Mm.
1: There were teachers there that did not think I should be there. And there were students there and moms there that did not think I should be there. Um, There was, you know, I got to see what prejudice looked like. At the same time, I loved dancing and I loved it so much that I was willing to work hard. And be the best. My mom always said when I was crying, we can stop. But if you're going to do this, you're going to be the absolute best dancer you can be. And that's that. And she meant it. Like I, you know, we had to watch our weight. My <laughs> my mom, if she saw me doing the most, she'd be like, Look, you ha- this is your choice. Right. But you're gonna be the best that you can be. And um I was. I mean, I learned I learned how to survive in hostile situations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I learned that I'm going to be here, I'm not leaving, and I'm going to be great and let my light shine. And it's not a cocky thing, but it's a, I'm not going to shrink. Right. And I learned that very young, and I'm grateful for that. So that was defining in my um, teenage years. And eventually I did actually study at Dance to of Harlem when I got old enough to take the train to the city at 14. That was a defining moment in my life.
0: <laughs> How was that different? Um, working work oh from New God. Jersey School of Dance and oh then God. Dance Studio of Harlem. Oh my
1: God! I, if anybody saw my post when Arthur Mitchell passed away, it broke my heart because what he created is, I don't have the words. Mm. I don't have the words. When I went to Dance Studio of Harlem, this is before they kind of had money issues, You're right? they used to give need-based scholarship, not, not need-based, merit-based scholarships, right. meaning it didn't matter if your parents were Bill Gates or you had no money. Yeah. If they thought you had talent, they wanted you to come, money. You coming for free. So I was there my first year not even paying. Oh, man. Because they just, and the thing is, I didn't know I was good. Mm. I just knew that I was working as hard as I could work and that I loved to dance And it wasn't until I got to Dance Center of Harlem when the teachers acknowledged me. I will never forget the day that Arthur Mitchell said, you, you, with the beautiful jumps. And I was looking, and I swear I spent 30 seconds looking all around me. Like, who was he talking to? I didn't know that I had, that I was really that gifted until I got to Dance of Harlem, and they wanted me.
0: Can you trace that, like, the lack of, like, of awareness of your talent from the school Mm -hmm. that you were at? Yeah, they didn't
1: validate it. Mm. They didn't validate it. I mean, I guess I had to be good enough because I was in a program you had to audition for. Right. Um, So, and I did perform with them, but they, the teachers didn't validate me. There were no compliments. There wasn't, so I just put my head down and worked. It just worked. And it wasn't until I got to Dance of Harlem where the teachers were, obviously still worked me, but they acknowledged me and they cared for me and they, they cared and it was, I truly believe it was life changing. I just, the confidence that that gave me, uh, I, will, I will forever be grateful. And then also to just dance with women who look like me. Like, yes, yeah. they still wanted you to be thin, but my booty didn't matter. My complexion didn't matter. My tights matched me, my shoes matched my mm. tights. Little things like that make a really, really big difference. Um, and then, I guess the other defining
0: moment would be Hal Jackson's Talented Teens. <laughs> so, what do you want to explain? Because I actually don't know what that is. <laughs> Hal Jackson's Talented Teens. Hal Jackson is a,
1: hes passed away a couple of years ago. He's a former radio personality at WBLS. Yes. Okay. Yes. He had a pageant he started in the maybe 1970. Jada Pinkett, Lee Ralph. This was the pageant back in the day that. The, the little black girls did. Mm, it okay, was okay, our okay. pageant. Actually, one of their most uh Famous uh, is Michelle Thomas, who played Myra on Family Matters. Yes, she yes. passed away, mm-hmm. um, but she was beautiful. So I did that pageant, and I, my mom had judged that pageant when I was really a little girl, seven, and I, and I remembered that, and I always said, I want to do that pageant. And this was a very youthful pageant, right? And you had to wear, there was no sexy dress; you had to wear ball gowns with sleeves, mm. and you had to have your, you know, your performing talent, and it, the, the, the image, which is very youthful, bubbly. And when I turned fourteen, my mom remembered that I wanted to do it, so she said, "Okay." I, sh- I guess she ran into somebody that um, worked with a pageant or something. Right? She said, "We're going to do this pageant this year," and I was like, um, "I think I would do it next year." And what I forgot to tell y'all is, I was, I was actually really, really shy growing up. If I was comfortable around you, you couldn't get me to shut up, but. Other than that, I was very, very shy. And mm. I still am and nobody believes it. <laughs>
0: same the same way, right? Same. I'm the same way. And I still I'm still totally shy and nobody will believe me when I tell them I'm actually really shy. People think I'm people think I'm being like snobby and I'm like, no, I'm actually scared of people. Yes. That's that's what that is. I'm not talking because I'm scared. <laughs> ditto.
1: Absolutely ditto, what she said. That's it. So I was really um shy, my mom and I was like trying to get out of it. She's like, no, we're gonna do it this year and so um,
0: oh my god can I just say I love yes. your mom like, she's, she's I love her <laughs> she's just like oh we're all all the things that you say you're gonna do you're gonna complete you're gonna them do, <laughs> the, you know she still does that
1: she literally came to my office the other day to be like so what did you say that you, your plans were for this year
0: oh my goodness she still I don't does know did she what? ask you for like your, lift of, like your list of affirmations and things and be like let's go through them <laughs> to she, make lo- sure <laughs> she low key read,
1: read my affirmations <laughs> oh, book my one god. day <laughs> And then I was really upset, and she was like, well, the first thing I read was, I'm grateful for my mom, and, and I and I was happy. I was like, well, oh I'm my glad goodness. I didn't write no foolishness in there. <laughs> um, but she holds me. She doesn't play. She holds me accountable. So she's like, Yeah, we're going to do this. I remember I got the choreography together, got the costume, the, the pretty dress, and we used to have these rehearsals where we would get together. We'd practice the production number, practice our walk, practice our speech um the all speeches rhymed it was, it was a lot and i remember she had pulled somebody aside and they were kind of giving me like some coaching and it was like the way it was set up in new jersey was how jackson's talented teens of new jersey so it was the you had your county pageant and then you had your then they, once you win the, uh, your county then you compete in the state and then it was how jackson sounds teen international so somebody was coaching me and they were like look let me tell you your daughter is very talented but this is a tough year and if she doesn't come out of her shell, she's not going to win. Mm-hmm. And then my mom said, she's like, you got to you gotta perform. Like, you got to you gotta give this dance to me, and you can't just get up there just because you got your point shoes, you know. I was like, okay. So she would have me practicing. We would be just walking randomly in the Pathmark parking lot. She'd be like, practice your walk. <laughs> She'd be like, Models T. She'd be driving me to and from places. She'd be like, say your speech. She
0: would doing the most.
1: So that night we got all ready and we did the patch and I don't know what happened, but the lights came on. I looked out on stage and I became a different person. I just and if you ask anybody that knows me from childhood, they will tell you that Aisha K. Fanes was born on the night I did Hal Jackson Town 15. I was Aisha Fanes and Aisha K. Fanes. Was born that night. And that's why I understand when Beyonce says Sasha Fierce. Yeah. I just fell in love with the stage. Fell in love with the stage. Fell in love with speaking. Fell in love. And I realized that I was free on a stage. So if I had to be amongst people, I'm like, ah. But if you put me on a stage or as later on in life would be in front of a camera, I... Found it to be the most liberating thing ever, mm. and that was really me. Some people go on stage and they close off and become something else. They have a mask on, yeah. They have a mask. I become more of myself on a stage and fell in love. So that that was um, that was a pivotal moment for so me. So you say
0: that you found yourself on, on stage. That stage,
1: and wow. I and I won <laughs> Essex County and New Jersey. And then I competed and I was the top five for international but the girls that were with me in that top five I actually still know to this day. One wow. of them I went to college with. Other one works with Debbie Allen Wow. Okay. So yeah.
0: big so, names. Ooh. I did not know that. Yeah. that's I.
1: That was actually Hal Jackson. When I look back and I think if you asked anybody that knew me and they said what's Aisha's defining moment in her childhood they would say oh the night she won Hal Jackson's down team.
0: That is so crazy. And
1: it's so sad that 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 pageant isn't there because people think about pageants as very com- com- competition. Yeah, yeah. There's a competitive element. But what that did for little black girls.
0: I can imagine, yeah.
1: You know, it was a youthful pageant and it gave you a uh, a place to show what you do. Mm-hmm. And as me being a little chocolate black girl, they weren't validating me at school of ballet. But when I did my ballet in front of the black audience, they were be like, Yes, honey. You know, they would they, they would really call about, and response. Yeah. Like and it was uh yeah, it was defining. I wish if I had the resources and maybe one day I would bring something like that back, honestly.
0: So yeah. That was teenage years. Yes, teenage years. Now we get to college. Get to college. How was college for you? I feel like I have such mixed feelings
1: about college. So first, I'll tell you how I ended up going to Yale, just because as I was telling you, you touchy right?
0: Before. Because, because that's like, a story.
1: That's a story, and I think a lot of people assume that I was like I gotta go to an Ivy League, but the truth is, um, I was really more focused on ballet, mm-hmm. and and I knew I would go to college or maybe go to college part time or postpone it. But for me, at first, I was just like, I guess I got to go to like, school in the city because I'm going to be dancing. I just really was focused on ballet. Right. And I got the grades because I knew one day I would go to college. And my mom had said, um, I guess both my parents, really my mom was like, well, if your grades slip, you're dancing too hard. So <laughs> I knew <laughs> I knew I had to keep. if I wanted to keep dancing, I had to get these grades. Right. So I always had the grades, but I wasn't really going. I didn't go into high school on some, like, I gotta go to an, I wasn't that kid, I wasn't that kid, I applied to all Ivy Leagues, no, I didn't do that. When we got closer to time, my parents started taking me on college tours, see different schools, I remember seeing Duke, and the men were fine, and my mother was like, I don't like this school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she saw me looking, I think it was like their spring fling. And she saw me looking around at the Kappas and she, she took like, no. one look. She was like, no, it's too far and I don't like it. <laughs> like, nope. Um, she wanted me to be kind of close. And I had uh, been invited up to a school called Amherst in Massachusetts. And it was a small school. Um, my aunt and uncle met there and fell in love, got married. I mean, not well, when got married eventually, but, you know, fell in love there. Tiny liberal arts school. Yeah. And I went up there for a weekend, I loved it. And so that was actually the school that I was thinking about. And my aunt, who went to Amherst, was like, well, actually, I see you at Yale. I didn't know anything about Yale. Mm -hmm. I knew of Yale, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, I had been thinking maybe NYU or Columbia because it was in the city. Um, When I went to both those schools, I just didn't feel it in my soul. And I will never forget the day we got out of the car. My parents drove me up to visit, and let me tell you, New Haven is rainy 364 days of the year. Somehow, my visit coincided with the one day of the year that, that New was... Haven was not great. Really? <laughs> New Haven is the gloomiest place on the planet. But for some reason, when I went to visit as a high school student, it was bright and and sunny, and beautiful. And I got out the car, and I will say this, I'm a very intuitive person, I'm not psychic. My mama is psychic. I didn't get that, but I got near psychic intuition. I just know when things are meant to be. I just can feel. right. And when I got out the car, like I just opened the car door and stepped onto the sidewalk. I will never forget this feeling that washed over me and it was like your home i will never forget it so your spirit oh, God my spirit spoke to you and told you this
0: is where you this go is home. it mm.
1: and the tour was beautiful the guide was bubbly he was he could be a talk show host it was just great and i uh, came back and told my guidance counselor yep i'm gonna go to yale and she was like okay uh so what's your safety school i was like hmm I just felt it in my soul and it wasn't like I mean I was still nervous but I just I knew that that feeling that I had could not have been wrong so that's how I ended up I applied early I got in I was done I didn't waste any money on applications I didn't waste time writing essays I was like look if I get into if I don't get into Yale I had some other schools I was going to apply to but if I get in early I'm done it's put a
0: fork in it I know that the spirit spoke to me Mm -hmm. and so I ended up there and then how did how did that spirit lead you? Huh. Once, you got, once, once August came around so, and you found yourself on campus,
1: uh, well, I will say overall I had a good time. Okay, um, the, my best friends to this day are people I met there on, um, on campus. I think part of it was I started to get away from myself when I got to Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely it does trip you up. That is a very competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's there is used to being, I would never say I was like the smartest, but like you're used to being very competent. Right. And Yale checks that. You are going to work hard. You're going to be up at night nervous. Uh, You're going to be real anxious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you're going to meet professors who love you, professors who don't. and it was challenging. So I will say that. I will never tell anybody that Yale was like, oh, it was a walk park. No, it wasn't. I encountered anxiety. I did not realize that I suffered from anxiety till I was at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't even think I realized when I was at Yale going through it. I think looking back on it, now I understand. Mm-hmm. But that was not easy. I think the biggest thing was when I went in, I was a theater studies major. I wanted to be a theater studies major. I liked to write plays. One of the things I did in high school was write plays and and put them on. And I wanted to continue that. And my father said, sorry, dad, he's not listening anyway. Um, no, I'm not sending you to Yale to be a theater studies major. So choose again. I felt that. Yes. And I was like, oh, so the only reason I was in the Middle East, I was it was technically Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations. The only reason I chose that major is because I was already taking Arabic classes. And I was like, well, I mean, I've, I've done one of the bigger requirements, mm-hmm. so let me just continue. And the funny thing is everybody was in there trying to be a diplomat or CIA or, you know, work for the UN. Yeah. I loved the poetry. That was honestly the <laughs> biggest delight was just studying Arabic poetry, which is the most beautiful Poetry you ever read in your life, but it was a hard, it was a harder major, um, and I think partially because I didn't truly, really want, want it. Yeah. I and I learned in life, like when you follow where you're supposed to be, like you do better. You know what I mean. You do yep. better. But That's I true. did it, and I learned a lot. Um, interestingly enough, about women, because understanding the oppression that women face in the in the um, Arab world actually really helps you understand oppression that women face all over the world, mm-hmm. including the West. Right. Um, so it, and, and there were a lot of little seminars where I had to sit around a table and talk with uh, – I took classes with two or three or four people. Often, that's how I learned best. So it was actually preparing me for my life without me realizing it. But, you know, I had a teacher that was racist, and he told me he wanted to fail me. Like, you know, there were teachers that I just – there were some social issues, you know. I made some great friends, but there were people who, who really did not like me from jump. Mm. And to this day, I really can't tell you why. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I had to cope with the fact that I generally like people. And and back then, I really liked to be liked. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: had to understand that there were people who, no matter how hard I tried and how hard I smiled, just weren't going to like me. Mm -hmm. And they would be black people. And that was a trip. And it took a long time to get over that. I was... um, Kind of like I won't go too far into it, but I was uh, the reason why I'm so close to the girls that I am now is because they were for me when there were a lot of people that weren't yeah, so I would say that was the hard, actually beyond the academics, really adjusting to that social aspect was hard Oof. yeah, uh, that was yeah. hard I was um yeah, that was hard. it was yeah, there are people that just kind of didn't dig me and. It wasn't easy to accept.
0: Man, I feel that. Yeah, definitely understand that. So
1: So. that was Yale.
0: Where are Um, we at now? What do you do? Okay,
1: so well, God, the past ten years have been crazy. Um, When I got to Yale, by that time I knew I wanted to actually go into TV. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually one of the things I skipped over is that my school, Columbia High School, which just every other person goes to that school. If you just randomly meet somebody on the street, ask them if they go into Columbia High School, they probably they probably did.
0: Um, I'm like half of the Grapevine <laughs> Half of the cast, Grapevine. Columbia, like, yeah.
1: um, it has a public access station in the school. And the interesting thing is God is always working because my mom wanted to send me to a private school. She sent me up to Newark Academy for one day to just uh, go, I guess, visit the school. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I, told, I came back. I said, Mom, if you send me to this school, I'm going to hate you. <laughs> like, we are not going to be cool um and i was like you can't expect me to go to dance school and be the only black person and then go to school school and be the only black person like i don't want that she's like okay fine so go to columbia best decision i've ever made and the crazy thing is beyond the fact that i had such a dope group of friends and it was so diverse was that they had a public access station house in the school so if you were interested in tv you could take tv as an elective yeah and then junior, senior year, you could actually work at the public access station. And that's how I got my first foray into TV and my first taste of it. And that's when I really, once I shifted past ballet, was like, I would like to go into media. I knew pretty early on. And so I got this fellowship called the Emma Bowen Foundation when I was in college. They put, they would set it for minority students who are interested in media. They set you up with a partner company. And every summer you go and you work for that company, they, right. they pay you. And then they match that and give that to, uh, to you for scholarship. Right, Incredible company and I always talk them up whenever I can because I know there's always young people that are wondering how they can get their foot into the media door. That is an incredible way. And so my partner company was CNBC, it was great. I got a, a demo tape made while I was there. Knew I wanted to go start working at a small market as a news reporter because that's the first step that anybody makes if you're looking to be on air talent. Landed my first job. Um, right out of college in Jacksonville Florida and was miserable didn't know
0: <laughs> I loved can like, you imagine like well now we now we know that Florida is the butthole of America but <laughs> I mean like can you imagine you were about to move on to like Florida beautiful weather all the time yes. and you'd be like no I actually hate this
1: <laughs> I was miserable and it's like I, and it was crazy because, I mean, I was in Jacksonville, Florida. I will always love the community. There's part of it will always feel like home. They have my back.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: community. You the know community, I mean? right? wink. Yes, uh-huh. They always have my back. I was emceeing uh, something every weekend. But I realized, like... You know the news as it is is kind of part of the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I didn't I didn't like the newsroom. Right. I loved speaking in front of cameras and I loved telling people stories and meeting people, but I did not love the newsroom. And I had to ask myself, is this something I want to do for the next twenty years of my life? Like, is this really what I want to do? And I think I knew even in my mid twenties. That it wasn't. Right. But the thing was, I didn't know what it was that I was going to do. I had no idea. Um, I just knew I wanted to speak to people. I wanted to have an impact. I, I wanted to stay in media. And I wanted to have a platform. But I knew that the newsroom wasn't it. And when they offered me another contract, it was for a significant amount of time. I couldn't bring myself to sign it. I just could not bring myself to sign this contract. And I... Put it off and put it off, and another time I thought about it, my stomach hurt. And you know how I said I was intuitive? Yeah. Like I just I think something spoke to me It was just like, "Don't. And I didn't have anything lined up.
0: That's what I want to ask, like you did you have a plan Not a B? Damn thing?
1: Nope. <laughs> so So my life has been it was very interesting. Um, like I came back home, I worked freelance. Um, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I wrote freelance, I did projects for people, and I taught ballet. This is the thing that people, a lot of people don't realize that I did that for a couple of years, actually. Um, and we're going to get to the defining moment in my life, I'm sure, down the line. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a moment in which I really said goodbye to TV, like TV news, for good. And I, I worked, so I, I worked in print, just you know, writing and and doing projects for people, and then I. Realized one day what I was really, really passionate about, um, and that was women. And I said to myself, "You know what? I'm gonna have to tell the story now." Uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah, start to tell the story now. At a certain point, I said, "You know what? I don't really like the newsroom, but the only thing I know is TV. So let me just go back." And I had been auditioning for different um, jobs, and it wasn't panning out. And then I always said, "If I can get a TV job in the New York City market, I'll be close to my family. It'll be good." And I met somebody who said, ah, you got something. They introduced me, introduced, you know, how that thing works. Mm-hmm. Ended up meeting this executive producer. There wasn't even a job open. He met me, and he created this job for me on a show that was on My 9 TV. Alignment.
0: Oh, <laughs> re- for oh, those I mean. who don't remember My 9. <laughs> <laughs> yes, My <laughs> 9
1: TV, Lord. It was owned by Fox. The show itself was owned by Fox. Actually, I think My 9 TV is owned by Fox. And started working and the day before I was supposed to really start he said okay well actually we're gonna have to put you on air but for a limited amount of time Mm -hmm. and I said but I've been given the job so I was like why and he's like well you know the um as it turns out like the executives at Fox like they want to see some other people so they figure like if we're going to create this job for you like let's see what else is there but low key, what had happened was the executive producer loved me, but he I don't think he the people at Fox wanted right. me or a person who looked like me on the show because there was already somebody who looked like me on the show, and only space for yes, one. yes, right. so I did it, knowing I'd been in the industry enough to know that like you know they were going to find someone else, and they ended up choosing a guy who had no television experience a a white guy who had no television experience whatsoever Mm. um so that was horrific when it happened Mm -hmm. but it was a moment in my my life where i said you know what no one's ever going to take food out of my mouth again if i'm going to be in this media game i'm going to have my own platform because whether or not you want to hire me today or not hire me tomorrow i need to be able to eat regardless right and I'm really happy that I had that realization in my 20s versus later on down the line when now I don't have as much energy and I have responsibilities. I had it in my 20s and that's when I was like, okay, what business am I starting? What am I gonna do? How am I building my own platform? And um, Women Love Power, it was called something different when I first started, but it, st- it was launched maybe six months after that experience. And sure. I've been grinding on it ever since. ever since. That's how I eat today.
0: So quickly, what was, what was the first few months like for Women Love Power?
1: So Women Love Power did not pay at first. Okay. I was just, it was the site. Um, I had a vision for it, I mm-hmm. had a business plan, but I knew that I had to just get in the space. Um, so the first thing I really did was I created this quiz, which now has been taken by tens of thousands of women about feminine archetypes. Mm-hmm. I started blogging. This is around the time now Ashley started inviting me on the grapevine mm-hmm. and things just kind of slowly started to align where between Mm -hmm. Women Love Power and The Grapevine and then just more and more, I was getting opportunities. And even when I started Women Love Power, it was going to be originally this thing where I used like phenomenal women as case studies. Right. Um, And it evolved because as I stepped more into my power and understood more about the power that women bring to society, and the more I was given opportunities like Grapevine, and I realized that what I was saying was really resonating with people, Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I think that really added to what it is today. But in the beginning, I was still writing. I was still doing social media work for people. I was hustling. I can hustle. My parents always laughed. They're like, Aisha will make a coin. Like, (laughs) They were like, we're not worried. Aisha will figure out a way to make. I was hustling. I had three or four jobs.
0: I believe it. <laughs> I know. Because I know you. I believe it.
1: <laughs> Always working. But you had to do what you had to do. And, um, and I feel like life handed me some lemons and I had to figure out. Because I could have sat there and been like, well, I have a Yale degree and I'm not. And I was like, no, I gotta. It's, I get one life. I got to figure out how to make this work for me.
0: That is, you know, one thing I didn't, I realized that we didn't do was kind of like quickly, what is Women Love Power for people yes. who don't know? sorry.
1: So Women Love Power is, formally, it's a digital platform. It's an educational platform for women. And it creates products to help women understand soft power, self-mastery. It just really gives women the tools to rise within themselves and within the world. And um, that's what it is formally. But it's also a platform for me. I, I think that the world is shifting towards a place of sh- feminine consciousness. Mm-hmm. I think it's natural, because the university leans towards balance. I think it's gonna be a lot of social upheaval while this happens. But women are going to find themselves in positions where they must step up. right? If not in their government, in their communities, in their families, within themselves. Mm -hmm. And I see what I'm doing as helping people make sense, men and women, make sense of where we are as a society and as a world and helping women understand their power and arm them with the tools to be fierce. And I think we, these are the conversations we don't have. We don't we teach women how to to make themselves more pleasant for men and appealing to men. Right. And we call that dating advice. Mm-hmm. But we don't teach women how to be powerful, how to mm-hmm. go get yours, how to get your money, how to get your love, how to get your options. Like this, is a, this is a desperate taboo. Absolutely. Even if some people still look at my stuff as very very taboo. But that's what women love power is.
0: Speaking of women love power, yes. let's get into some questions. Yes. Um, so what's your relationship with your femininity and who and what help you establish what femininity is to you?
1: Ah, good question. I would say that you know, like, so I enjoy being a girl. <laughs> I always have. But when I was a baby, my mom tried to put some high tops on me. And she said, I sat in the, of the living room and had the temper tantrum of a lifetime. Oh, no. was like, you ain't putting these sneakers on me. I think I've always been that, that girl. <laughs> I think my, my concept of femininity comes from my mom. hmm My mom is badass. And I don't even think she tries. I just think she's a product of, I'm getting up out of this environment. Mm-hmm. And my mom has been, she's so humble, but she has been, like, the first black and the first female. She's in gastroenterology, which when she started in that practice, there were not a lot of right. blacks or women right? because things have changed. But back in the day, it was lucrative. Things have changed. But, you know, they kept us out. And she was, she had to fight to get on staff at hospitals. She had to fight for everything. And my mom knew how she knew like if you pushed her she could be assertive but she knew how to kill your ass with kindness Mm. she could charm she said she would know and she would go in and the guy might be racist and she's like but i would figure out that one thing i could say to him to disarm him and i think seeing my mom operate where she don't push her she will get (laughs) she she will get you in check like there were boundaries. Do not push her. But she also was charming and diplomatic and ran her own business. And it, she'd go to the hospital to do surgery. She'd dress her ass off. You'd never see her dress down. Like, just fly. I grew up with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was really all the example of femininity that I need. And then also my grandparents. They were just, they were strong women. They were, my mom's dad was so regal. And just didn't take any tea for the fever. Like just don't, don't, don't mess with them. Mm-hmm. But also, and I just think I was surrounded by these just dynamic, phenomenal women.
0: Speaking of your mom. Mm-hmm. Who are your icons and who inspires you? We well, speak about your mom. Yes, boss, it was so. not
1: clear. My mama. Mama's
0: <laughs> definitely in top of one's she's, list.
1: Yeah, she's one of my best friends. I think my mom is actually my best friend, low key. But she is, but there's also respect factor. So right. it's like at the day, I'm like she's not completely a friend. She's still my mom, but she's probably my best friend. And my role model, my dad, too. You know, he's charismatic. And and, and honestly, my dad probably has had more influence on in my personality than my mom has, just closer to her now. Um, I would say Oprah.
0: <laughs> I oh, grew up yes. watching Oprah, Mama Oprah. Who who
1: didn't watch Oprah at four o'clock after school and and not want to, to see themselves in her shoes? Mm-hmm. Uh, Debbie Allen, Debbie Allen yes. does everything Debbie Allen wants to do. She writes, she pro- directs, she produces. She's got a school, she dances. I mean, this woman is so full. She's always inspired me. And then, just um, I've actually always grew up admiring Madam admiring Madame C J Walker. Yes, I really. Like just, she's a I, I, female entrepreneurs. I, I love even Martha Stewart, um, Helena Rubinstein. Like, I just if you created an empire mm-hmm. as a woman, I'm Kathy Hughes. I'm like yes. Even as a little girl, I just wanted to hear those stories of women who created empires.
0: I can. I mean, yeah, because you're on your way to creating your own. I'm so trying. Of course. I'm <laughs> but yeah, those women really inspire me. So this is a heavier question. Okay. When did you realize it was, it's a couple of parts. So when did you realize it was time to leave a relationship? Did Mm -hmm. you leave? Mm -hmm. Um, And what was the biggest lesson you've learned from relationships or dating in general?
1: Well, I think one, the most recent I can think of in terms of when it was time to leave was this guy I was dating a couple years ago, and I just thought he was... So special, but looking back on it, he was so manipulative. Mm. Um, he was so manipulative, but I think I realized it was time to leave. Like, I knew he was seeing someone else, but he was never mm. going to admit it. Mm-hmm. And I, and he was never going to stop seeing me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to be uh, in your play pool harem. You right. know, I'm not gonna do this, yes, but I'm so
0: about to be a concubine, yes, yeah. i not gonna do that,
1: <laughs> but I remember I was distraught, and I don't know why I was so distraught over him. Because looking back on it, you couldn't pay me to date him, right? Like now, but back then, I was distraught. And what did my father say to me? Oh, god, he's gonna kill you for sharing sure this. He saw me crying, <laughs> and he said, He said something, why yeah, you got things to do. Like my dad has always said, I didn't raise you for a man, I raised you for the world. You have things to do. You don't have time to be good. Your you, you know this is but this is the type of pop tip talk your father give you, okay? They don't really sugarcoat anything. Yeah, that sounds he, like my
0: father. Too. Yes.
1: He said, and he saw you because you was thirsty and he saw it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he said something like cause she was thirsty and he saw it and he capitalized on it and now you see who he really is. And I remember he said that to me and I'm like, to him like Really? Anybody knows my father knows. Yes, he will. He, my dad, is not sugar And the next day, I woke up. I didn't think about that man since. Because one thing I realized was I was looking, for, looking to him for happiness. Mm,
0: mm. And I was like,
1: what the? And I think, honestly, there is something to the thirst factor. Like, yeah. I don't think I was thirsty in the sense of I need validation. I need you to tell me pretty. I didn't have that. But I think that maybe I, I, I stopped and I thought, like, is there something that I'm looking for outside of myself that I need to find within myself? And was I thinking that this is gonna be, oh, when we're together, it's gonna be so great. What is this happily ever after that I'm chasing that I can't give myself? And maybe the fact that I can't give it to myself is why it is not happening without. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned, that whatever it is you're hoping to get from a man or from a relationship, whether it's feeling you, you want to feel pretty, you want to feel secure, you want to feel safe, you want to feel successful by association, mm-hmm. you got to give it to yourself first. Um, it took my dad and his weird um, pep talk. I don't know what that was about. But I think he, he nailed it. He was like, why are you this distraught over mm-hmm. this man? And I took to the stop and like, damn, why am I? Mm. And I never looked back, you
0: Shout out to Papa Fanes. Yes. Or what's your father's name Camille. Though? Camille, okay. Camille. <laughs> yes. Okay, next question. <clears throat> is there a moment you can pinpoint your full awareness of your gender and of your race?
1: I don't know about gender. I think, like I told you, I think I, I came out the womb spinning. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I don't know about gender. But race, yes. Preschool, by this time we are in South Orange is you know, fly I'm a fly in a buttermilk. Right. And I asked my teacher, I don't understand why the pink people always get to go first. Huh. <laughs> and my teacher and I didn't understand what I was saying. I just knew that I could sense at that age that my teacher was uh, was treating the pink people because I didn't understand white and black right, to right. them if I had to choose a crayon it was closest pink. to pink. Mm-hmm that they were being treated differently than me. And I said that and she got upset and she told my father when he came to pick me up from preschool, he said, do, do you know what your daughter said? She said, why is it that the pink people are said to go first? And my father said, well, why do they? <laughs> and she said, like, oh, it's that family letting me have a seat. So <laughs> that I think is when I had an awareness mm. that, um, Yeah, there are people here who treat me who are going to treat me differently because of the way I look. My parents never sugarcoated racism either, though.
0: Right? No, I think that's yeah.
1: But even at
0: three, maybe because it's preschool. Preschool, so like three or four. Three or four. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it was very obvious.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. But gender, you feel like from a young age, from like the the womb, you were like,
1: I'm a girl. I'm a girl, and I love it. And my father. Did not raise me like a lot of men raise their girl. I feel like my dad wasn't rough. Like he taking boxing. Mm -hmm. But beyond the physicality of how you might raise a boy, I think my dad almost raised me like he would have raised his son. Mm. To be fearless. He never wanted me to think that like things would be different because I'm a a woman. He always wanted me to value my brain. He didn't play those like, oh, she's pretty. Nah. Like you, this is what you have to offer the world. Like you have ideas, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to, I want you to question authority. You don't have to blindly follow authority. I didn't, and he always said, I did not raise you for a man. I raised you for the world. Now, does he want me to get married? Yes, and has yes, a grandchildren. I'm sure. Yes. But the, the feeling was don't just make some man. I didn't put all this into you for you to just make this man the only goal. You have a world to conquer.
0: How old is your father? Around like how old? They're both my parents are like 63. 62, 63. Okay, he my father has like ten years on him, but because mm-hmm. they sound so much alike. In that, but that's why that's probably why we connect. Yes, because <laughs> they sound so much alike, mm-hmm. and I'm a lot like my father. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that inner
1: masculine, mm-hmm.
0: very strong.
1: It's balanced though. Don't yeah. Realize that you have to actually have an inner masculine to, to 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 really have, fully embrace right your, your femininity. Feminine. Yeah, yeah.
0: So now. This is a question that um I think is really important. Mm-hmm. What is one thing you want me to know about you?
1: Oh God. Okay,
0: that's a good question. And I sure I thought we should have figured out an answer.
1: <laughs> I would say this. I think I started a little bit earlier, but when I was in college, I had to learn that like there are gonna be people who thought things about me that weren't true. Mm-hmm. Like there were people who assumed, like you said, shyness, the snobby, but being a snob, but I'm just shy or that I thought I knew it all or and I've been encountering that my whole life like mm-hmm. going into spaces and people having people assume things about me and then I can't tell you how many women said, "Oh, when I met you, I didn't like you, but then I got to know you." So I'm always I'm still learning how not to tiptoe. I'm always I've always been very scared about asserting myself because mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh no, they're going to think I'm a terrible person." And so I think I told you that. Like that comes up sometimes and I'm like, Let me start this with an apology, but this is what I think. I'm still learning how to share my truth um, without the fear of people um, assuming that I'm, that it's a bad intention or that I'm a know-it-all or, you know, I think I'm this. I think I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, get over, get, shake that loose, Mm -hmm. that fear, but it's, it may never go away. It may never go away.
0: So which one do you think is holds more priority? Mm-hmm. Worrying what people think in general about mm-hmm. what you're going to say or worrying that they're going to think it's a bad intention?
1: Worrying that, that is, they're going to think it's a bad intention. Okay. Yeah, because I rarely have – I never have bad intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I never really do. Like, if I don't like a person, you'll know because I just won't deal with you. Right. right? Yeah. Like, you will not exist. <laughs> like, huh? But I'd rather that – then engage somebody mm-hmm. that I don't like, and engage them in a the negative space because I'm mm. not only I'm giving them negativity; that I'm giving myself negativity. So I just cut you out if I don't like you. But if I'm engaging you and I like you, yeah, it's not a bad. I don't, it's never a bad intention.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just so that you know, this is always a space to because you know I'm extremely straightforward. Yes. So I don't want. So you know, this is a space to be free (laughs) i know and that's and that's that's why i said
1: i'm still working towards
0: feeling free Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna get there eventually yeah i think so Mm -hmm. we're all growing we're growing forever yes um okay and so how do you know Mm -hmm. you're walking in your purpose what does it look like to you uh purpose
1: purpose 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 i think purpose is when you figure out why you were born why you were here um, and I also think it's when your values, your skills, and your passions align. Mm-hmm. I think if you answer, if you, I think if you create a diagram, actually, you could probably figure out your purpose <laughs> in like a couple
0: of minutes. Oh my minutes. goodness, yeah. Mm-hmm. So say that again, when your values? When, when your
1: values, your talents and skills, and your passions align okay your y'all. purpose is at the intersection of those three things
0: so it's like a venn diagram mm-hmm. um i'm gonna need y'all to write that down
1: oh that's important <laughs> no it
0: is yeah. it is mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's like values sk- talents and skills um what was the other one uh, and, and um passion passion and in the middle of it is it's your purpose. purpose
1: because i remember i was like why was i not happy in tv mm-hmm. i'm like i'm I know one of my best talents is speaking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I know that my I'm passionate about people and telling stories, but I was like, oh, my values weren't aligned. I need a certain, I value autonomy. I didn't have that. You, you had to be careful what you say. Um, and I knew I, I, I value truth, and I knew like a lot of the things we were telling, you know, a lot of stories we were, you know, delivering weren't really indicative of reality like right. I you mm-hmm. know I you know so it was I value justice that it wasn't always there so yeah um, those three things having said that I one thing I'm really grateful for is I think I did a lot of my struggling real early on right I'm st- it's not life is not a walk in the park for me y'all, at all but I just think that I had a really up and down tw- when I was in my 20s was really tumultuous mm-hmm. 20s but if there's anything that came out of that is
0: I walked into my 30s knowing my purpose Oh, man, that's why yeah. they, like, people always say like 30s are your, with the exception of me, because now I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just. But I'm just finding out a lot of yes. things. But, y- yeah, you are the prime example of why 30s are like that. It's that, it's that time. It's that time for you.
1: And I will say Iyana Vincennes said this when I saw her at the Apollo, and I'll never forget this. She said, you can give birth to anything in your 30s.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything. That,
1: anything. I was like, yes, yes. So, if you're in your 20s and you're not Oprah, like, relax. Oh, relax. <laughs> Have a chill, pill. Relax. Yeah. Everything is, sometimes life has to move you. Sometimes you're not ready for your purpose. Like, when I first left news, I think God um, was like, you're not ready. Say, I gotta, you gotta go through some things. You're not ready. I gotta.
0: Say that again.
1: You, you're not, sometimes you're not ready for your purpose. God was like, I got to put you through this. You, got, you have to suffer. You're going to have to meet multiple types of men. You're going to have to get through some things before you could turn around and lead somebody else through some things. So I wasn't ready for my purpose. And I'm grateful for all that time where I felt like I was just floating like a log in the middle of the sea. Like, what am I doing? I'm grateful. Every lesson I learned, every skill I picked up, I'm using today.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I guess that leads us into what is the greatest lesson you've learned?
1: Ooh, I think the greatest lesson I learned is that you have to define yourself for yourself. I think life is always trying to put you in boxes and people are always trying to project who it is they want you to be. Or you're trying to, I said this in the grapevine, you know, figure out who you are by looking into broken mirrors. Mm -hmm. Like you have to know who you are, what you stand for, and know that what you do is not who you are. Like you are your values, you are, you know, everything you've went through and right. you've been resilient. You are a product of your ancestors and you are all of those things, but you're not exactly what you do. So you have to define who you are for yourself and you have to be your own happily ever after.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a big one, too.
0: What do you want your legacy to be?
1: I'm thinking about that commercial. What do you want in your tombstone?
0: <laughs> do you remember that commercial? Ooh. Do you remember that commercial? The pizza commercial? <laughs> it's like pizza I've commercial. I've never, but that's a great commercial. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It was, a. I was said the 2000s. It was an old commercial. Um, legacy. I want to be able to do amazing things for my parents because they've done amazing things for me. I would like to have a child. <laughs> One. <laughs> I would like to have an amazing love that I can look back and say this love it's not just the reason a child exists, but it's the reason all these great things exist, mm-hmm. like a love that produces amazing things. Um, and I want to build some generational wealth. I do, I want some great grandkids that could be like, I'm living like this because way back, well, first they'd have to give props to my parents. But then, you know, I want them to be able to sit down and tell a story about who great, great grandma Aisha was and how oh, she helped so their like family.
0: Beyonce, there's a lot of brown children on your Forbes list.
1: I really, really would like that.
0: Ah oh, man, that is yes. That's such a dream. That's a dream. That's a dream, but such, you know, such a dream that can absolutely become a reality. Thank you. That's so. <laughs> yes, to build yes. that generational wealth. Because now I'm like, oh yes, let's, let me add that to the list. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I want
0: my babies to be on the Forbes list based off of my wealth. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or oh, just
1: just doing just
0: doing okay. Yeah. Because God
1: knows what what world they're gonna inherit.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I know. now when I you say it like that, I absolutely need them to be wealthy off of my wealth, and yes. they can add to it. Yes, because who knows what we world don't we know? Be it's in. about to get rough in this piece. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes, and to sum wow. this all up, who is Aisha? Okay, who is Aisha?
1: Aisha is uh, a daughter, a friend, a creator, a builder, a dreamer. An intuitive and a woman who just wants to leave this world better than she found it.
0: I think you're doing that. Oh, thank you. I really do. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanna add? I am did, I feel like I have You feel like you emptied out I've poured feel into like a I vessel. <laughs> I'm I am good. Uh yeah.
1: I'm good. Guys, also, yeah, this this one thing I will say. Make sure you take care of yourselves. Like, life is crazy, but Mm -hmm. this is just the top of mind. Like, just make sure you take that time out. If it's just go to movie theaters by yourself or get a massage or – I know you don't like massages, girl. I don't.
0: (laughs) Hot stone. They don't have to touch you. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there.
1: Yes. Take – I don't know why this top of mind for me right now, but it's just like sometimes life gets rough. You got to trust the process, but also take care of yourself.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) This was great. This so we're going to suspend gratitude journal for this episode and the next episode, since this, since these episodes are essentially gratitude journals. Yes. Um, but thank you so much for pouring yourself into this, and
1: thank you for being such a great interviewer. Oh, yes, thank you. Oprah has taught you well. Ah. <laughs> really good that's when you can make somebody feel comfortable sharing the innermost
0: parts of themselves for real no i completely understand yes, yes. definitely so i'm um, thank you ayesha for telling us about Aisha. thank you um so uh, yeah guys um we've given you ayesha next week or in two weeks i'm going to be in the hot seat so whew, yeah when we get there so everyone um If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at Inside the Pink Podcast. If you want to send us thoughts, your suggestions, just love. If you want to tell us how much you loved hearing about Aisha, you can um, email us at InsideThePinkPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tag us on Instagram and Twitter, Inside the Pink Podcast or Inside the Pink. So send us your thoughts. Follow us on Instagram. Build us up. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Yeah, we want to hear <laughs> everything from you. We want to hear your thoughts and your your concerns or your, you know, your suggestions. We're definitely open to them.
1: Mhm. And with that, peace and love, guys. Bye y'all.